The information presented in this program is not intended as legal, health, or nutritional advice. All topics are provided for informational purposes only and are not necessarily endorsed. Neither Light On nor its host accepts responsibility for any statements, views, or opinions presented in this episode. All rights reserved. It feels like all our heroes are coming. We all know why. The world itself is just one big hoax. Welcome to A Light On. Today my guest is Annika Lucas, who is the author of a book called Quest for Love, Memoir of a Child Sex Slave. Uh, thanks so much for coming, Annika. Uh, very heavy material. And uh, so I'm sure it's going to be a very heavy you know, conversation. Um, so some people may not may not be okay with it and so just uh, a warning warning people now but um yeah i guess where does it start for you where does the story begin this was many years ago right oh yes i'm 60 and we're talking about my childhood um so this was only uh during my childhood it was um you know um it started when I was six years old, although I was already being abused in the home. And then at uh, six, I think my family was infiltrated. I uh, do believe that when my mother married, when um, I was three years old, and we moved into this little town in Flanders, in Belgium, I do believe that we were targeted because my mother is just really not well uh, mentally. Mm. Uh, never diagnosed, but... I would notice <laughs> that something was wrong with her. And I think that as far as there was a network that um, consisted basically of aristocrats and elites and uh, people who wanted to belong and would do anything to belong in that group. Um, and so there was a, a family uh, of aristocrats, but I believe that pimps were sent to our house so this woman started cleaning our house and then offered to take me uh, to babysit for me. And um, by that time I was five, but I'd met, uh, I'd been in that, I knew that family already. We knew that aristocratic family. And then I, and then these, this woman started to take me for weekends with her husband for babysitting. This is someone you hired as a cleaner? So my, yeah, she came to work for us. And I do believe it was probably through the countess who was the, the contact, who ended up being the contact person. These two people uh, were pimps. So they would take me from five to six years old. They basically took me away on outings, um, sometimes staying the weekends there. There were other kids there. And, um, they were from Holland. I'm you know, obviously Belgian. So they were saying that these were their nieces, nephews, other children, um, but they changed all the time. It was strange. I didn't really make friends with anyone either. And um, and I also didn't know that it was strange. You know, at five years old, you don't really, I mean, I there was something strange about it, but I didn't like them to begin with. So I never really wanted to be there. Hmm. So, what but can they you talk about? 
oh, I never, uh, just from the first time, the way that she looked at me, uh, the, the way that she looked at me was a like, cold mm -hmm. and calculated. And I just like immediately had strong dislike for me. So she was basically getting my mother uh, to say yes to taking me. And I never wanted to go, but I always had to go. And um, when I was six, she and her husband uh, take, took me into what is the, the net, what I call the network. And um, so it started there and uh, it was immediately extreme. And I spoke up. I was, I, I didn't like what was happening. And I, I, I said that people, you know, that they would go to jail. And um, then I was uh, threatened extremely graphically. And I tried to tell my mother. And then I don't really know how much longer, but my mother basically took over and started driving me herself. Hmm. When you say they threatened you graphically, what it, what would that entail? All right. Well, if you want to hear, it's... Um, if you don't mind, yeah, if um, you can be detailed as possible. Yeah, there's something. It is this. I do describe this in the in the book. Mm -hmm. But there was um, so I came. I arrived with the husband of the cleaning lady and two other girls, and I had been used in a sort of a an S and M show on a stage, and this was a what I think is an a masked ball. Um, people were dressed as hippies, but it was happening in a castle. And there was hippie music playing, was, you know, 1969. Mm -hmm. And, but there were waiters in uniform, uh, uniform serving, basically drugs, joints, pills, everything was just being served on silver platters, literally. So the people who were dressed as hippies, it was clear they weren't really hippies and I was um, used in this sort of weird on a small stage with the husband of the cleaning lady in an S&M situation it was extremely degrading and um, so I had spoken up and there was somebody who was sort of um, like we call him handler that's to say somebody who lets the kids in, the children in, you know, sometimes there's events and the children are let in late. And so a handler will wait with the children outside or in another room until the public that is still there is ready for children or something, you know, um, there's a lot of organization. And so the uh, often smaller crooks or people that want to get involved in some way, they, they do these things, they have the smaller roles. So this um, very big guy um, took me very casually as, as I'm six years old. He took me somewhere else. I'm not sure if it was in the same castle or if it was another place, but certainly to another that's completely different feeling. Just with me, large, large cellar, large vaulted cellar. And he just, he just said, you know, we like you here. We don't want anything to happen to you. And I was just thinking, as we were going deeper into the cellar, thinking, uh, it's okay, <laughs> you know. And um, so 
we came to the end, there were like different rooms in the cellar, very large. And at the end, there was sort of a, a bath. And behind the bath was a body. Wow. And so it's a body of a, of a young woman. Um, they showed you the result. Yeah, if I would speak up said, you know, we like you here. We don't want anything to happen to you. You know, if you, you don't want to talk. Because I said I was going to tell my 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 father, my stepfather. So I'm going to tell my stepfather and he's going to make sure you all go to jail. So I said, no, you, you don't want to tell anybody, you know. So he, he acted very casually. Like he had, there were, he had no feelings about any of this. So even though I was horrified, I, was like on his wavelength at the same time I didn't want to show any feelings because he was so dead numb so I just was thinking oh of course I'm never going to say anything and you know mm -hmm. so it was uh, um, and it was clear that this woman had been murdered yeah. did, did so, you find out what who that was or just the story no, that's the problem with um, that's the problem with the, this network. I I don't even really remember her face, but uh, because it wasn't, I wasn't really in a position to see it very well. I saw her body mostly, mm -hmm. uh, but other children, I, I and you know, children, other victims. Let's say I do remember, and um, I don't know who they are, um, but. I did tell my mother, I tried to, you know, I, 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 in my head, I went, well, I'm not going to tell my stepfather. I'll tell my mother. So I tried to tell my mother and, um, well, she, um, ended up taking me there herself. Hmm. Do you, do you think they had bribed her in some way or how, how do you suppose they got her to do that? I think my mother would have done anything to feel that she belonged to a group that was elite. And so we're talking about aristocrats. It happened in castles. She was always name dropping wherever she could. Um, she was never allowed in. She was always more of a, in the role of a pimp. But I think for her, she would have done anything to belong. And she didn't know how to belong because her particular mental illness made it so that she wouldn't have been safe for them. These are a lot of people that may be part of secret societies and they're into power. And my mother, you know, she wanted the power. She adored the people who had the power and she would have done anything. She had no qualms about anything. She was a psychopath. But um, those people, they also have a different type of intelligence than she had. So she, she was really never allowed in, but she was paid. I don't think it was wasn't about the money for for my mother she wasn't we were not poor and this was would you say this was mostly aristocratic well-off people or was it a mixture did you ever see anybody who what who didn't belong to that sort of circle well those who were there as the small crooks and the handlers and the and the pimps were sort of people definitely from lower classes and then, of course, I was a slave, and I was um, a throwaway slave. You could say that's to say that I could be used for anything. 
but the 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 core of the group it was really it was connected to royalty aristocrats the big boss was a minister was really? minister of national defense at the time he was prime minister of the country twice wow and mostly mostly it was people you know involved in government lawyers doctors so it was more from the upper classes and then the boss the prime minister you know the the i i've named him you know he's not known anywhere but in belgium but he's very famous in belgium he um he was in uh the, he was a freemason and so a lot of people came in that way for the masons for the masons and then they had their club and they helped each other with businesses. And then the pedophilia was how this club was cemented together and how we made sure he made sure that no one would ever talk. He always had this. So in the first years I was often used um, for two, two different kinds of things. Either I was given to some aristocrats who totally didn't care. And, you know, that was very dangerous. And I could have died. It just accidentally didn't. So certain aristocrats who were very um, bloodthirsty, you could say. Those were just a few. But they are there. Mm -hmm. And then, or the work, the way the, the club works is that every there's a triage going on all the time. So when people want to belong, they have to show what they're willing to do to belong to the club, to have the power. And so the people with the least scruples do the best because they'll do anything. Mm. Until, that, of course, they're in front of a young child. And then I, I, I always thought, this man is going to say, I can't do this. Because I was very young. But no one ever, and and these were supposedly the new, they, they were supposedly new at this. I had to make them feel comfortable. Really? That was much. Yeah. I had to make it okay for them. And the fact that they, um, they went ahead with it, it just, I understood later is because they had probably already passed a lot of tests, you could say to see what kind of person they are and they would stop at nothing. So would you say part of that process is to put those people in compromising situations so that, that there, there is no going back, right? They have totally. dirt on them essentially. Totally. That's what it was. It was being filmed or photographed. Hmm. This was the moment where they could not step back. It's either that or, um, you know, um, I've been in other circles in this network as well. So this was the Belgian network. Belgium's a small country. But even so, it has, it's like uh, it has tentacles everywhere. You know, there's every small city has maybe a little group of people that are involved. And then they trade up. They use the children to trade up. A lot of people, um, their own, abuse their own children. And they bring their own children into these network situations. They put their own children in these situations. Yeah. 
how, how do they generally transport the kids or get, get them from point A to point B with all the, you know, this whole network? Okay, so I was trafficked from 69 to 74. So either my mother was taking me, she got a, she didn't have a car before. She went and got a driver's license and a car just to do this, I think because the timing was strange and it wasn't a time when people had a lot of, um, had two cars, usually families had two cars. So, but I was taken, driven to other countries with um, handlers. So two men smoking in the car, smoking and sitting in the front, smoking and me and maybe another in the back. Um, I was flown on private jets. I was flown to New York on a private jet. Um, I was met by a handler I was driven right off the tarmac, never saw any, you know, never had to show any papers. Wow. So it was fairly easy for them, seems like. Yeah, I mean, I was in a, put in a hotel room for an hour. It was a busy hotel by the airport in New York. Um, so I was nine years old. I came in with a man. I don't think, I, he never said a word. I had no, there was no luggage. Um, you know, he, he just walked me in, walked me past the lobby, all the people that were there, the, the staff put me upstairs in a room and then an hour, I didn't know what was going to happen, but an hour later he came and got me back out of that room and walked me back through the lobby. And obviously nobody ever thought anything was weird. It's not like I looked like him or looked like I would belong to him. I was scared. I mean, there's a lot there mm -hmm. to see that nobody, nobody saw. And it, I think it has a lot to do with that time. There's obviously more awareness now. There's more, um, there's more vigilance. But I was traded up by the minister, by the Belgian boss, you could say, the boss of the network, sort of like a mafia boss. Mm -hmm. I was traded up to what you could call the international network. And there, things happen, you know, then we're talking, it's, I never met Jeffrey Epstein, of course, because he's, he's, I'm too old, but it's sort of in those realms, you know, where things happen like that with impunity. Everybody knows that nobody was even careful. And I, an American, a very wealthy American took me shopping on Madison Avenue. And you know how people are. Everybody was so thrilled to see him. Nobody would have wondered what this little girl was doing with him. A little girl who he spoke French to me. Hmm. <laughs> and he introduced me to his staff as his niece from Paris. It doesn't mean anything. I mean, they didn't wonder. Everybody was so happy to be around this famous person or this you know, like, yeah, famous person, wealthy, right. that nobody asked any questions. That in itself, I think, is a, was a lot of the protection. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't ask questions. They just kind of make assumptions. Um, did you hear about, speaking of Epstein, that's, you know, really big in the news now. Did you hear of him at that time or any time during this? Not at all, no. No, because... He was mostly, a, it seems that he was mostly a, a pimp for the United States, that he was getting girls here in the United States. He 
it, it, I, I do work with survivors all the time. And mm -hmm. so I do know some things that it seems that he used to go. Um, I know one person that she doesn't know where she came from, but she clearly looks like she's Eastern European. And I, I then heard a, a journalist say that he used to go to Kosovo um, and pick up orphans, for example, and then traffic these orphans and then put them in satanic families that are in the network. And then the, these orphans were raised in, in, in network families, so he would have constant access to them. So we're talking certainly much younger from, you were talking babies to, you know, what we hear about with Jeffrey Epstein is certainly just the tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. But I don't, I was, I was rescued from the network in 1974 as at 11 years old. So Epstein is just a few years older. I mean, no, no, I would have never seen or seen him or heard from him, but I was taken to the U S um, on a jet by um, a famous person, um, a, a, you know, a famous rich person. And um, he wasn't on his own plane. That's why I was put up at the hotel for an hour while his limo arrived. Mm -hmm. And and then he uh, had had um, I was sort of moved up as a slave, if that makes sense, mm -hmm. to be trained specifically for what he wanted to use me for. So then I got official mind control training. What did that entail? Well, I was. It was in Germany. The the there was a doctor in charge whose name is Hans Harmsen. He was um, a Nazi, and he was in fact fired uh, from his um, honor honorary honorary position later in life because they finally caught up with his his Nazi past. But he was the head of this small facility in Heidelberg in Germany, where I was trained very very effectively based on torture to become an elite slave, an elite sex slave spy. That's to say my owner would then sell me or whatever to other powerful men. And then I would spy on them in the meantime so that he would have some advantage maybe in business or in politics. And the way that this was done was so professional, so deeply scientific, that I saw myself change over the course of, I was there maybe a month. I was gone from home the whole summer of 1972. So when I, I was just nine years old, and I spent about four weeks in the United States, off and on with this, um, with this, fa with this famous rich person. And a month in Germany for this mind control training. So this was mostly in basement. It was a large villa, but it was mostly in the basement. And yes, it's torture based. So I would be exposed to horrific things on film to get to learn to recognize from a man's face, his perverse sexual perversity. And, it, and that was like one training just for that. And then in order to 
you know, then I would have to guess it. I would be shown what he did. And then I would have to, from another man's face, I would have to guess what he liked. You know, just a lot of repetition, a lot of different perversities. Mm. And you see the man and you see the man's face and the body. And then based on what I had seen, what I had been forced to watch, I had then to guess what, you know, what they liked. And then if I, for example, if I got it wrong, I would be, either be drowned or suffocated in a different way to unconsciousness. And then that was also part of the training because then actually that dislodged part would become more intuitive in order to tell that truth from that person. Mm -hmm. So, um, yes, they did many things there. That's one thing. Uh, <clears throat> standard in mind control, but specific in that there was no experimentation done on me. And it was for these very specific purposes. I was to be an elite sex slave. And based on my heritage, they were going to turn me into, give me a platform um, in France. That was all about me being able to attract the most powerful men in the world so that I could um, better make money, of course, essentially, and then also um, spy on them. And yeah, but mostly it's, it was a lot about money too. You know, I was already sold in that year after that training. So the training kind of continued all year, but I was also sold already to powerful politicians that year. Yeah, yeah. and was taken to Germany, for example, a lot with, to be with a this with a form. Age it started at what age? This um, when you became an elite. Nine. Nine. And you you had said you had mentioned, um, you know, heritage and bloodline. What what part does that play in the whole thing? Are they very obsessed with that? You would say. Yeah, for them it's very important. Weirdly, when it was completely weird circumstances, how I attracted this American, you know, billionaire's attention. Like I'll not even go into it, but it was completely, you know, nothing I did, but something happened and he took an interest and he thought I was sophisticated. So the first thing that was done was that my blood was taken. And then I assume, I didn't know who my father was, my biological father, but I assume that via via, they went and got the information from my mother, who my father is. And my father comes from a, a line of French Huguenots, which were nobles that were Protestant and fled the country, you know, in the 17th, 18th century. And that must have been enough. And that's a lot. And that family is a family of artists, of musicians, you know, classical music and so forth and, and, and artists. And so they were going to make me into a singer, actress, sexual very sexualized and um and then I, but i could belong i could get it they it was like for him for this man he thought i was so lucky that i could become his slave that i was going to belong into their into this club as his slave hmm. 
you had, to backtrack a little bit, you had mentioned um these sort of parties, these um uh, these masked balls. Um, and I immediately thought, you know, of everybody knows of the the Rothschild, the famous Rothschild ball. Um, and we see all this stuff in, you know, the mainstream media. There's uh, Eyes Wide Shut that de depicts uh, parties like that, gatherings like that, um, r various rituals. Um, how close to that would you say all this was? Well, when this American, before I was sent to Germany for this mind control, I spent one night at a house of a Rothschild who basically had to give his permission for this character, for this persona to be created. That's to say that this billionaire was getting permission from a Rothschild to do what he wanted to do. So even though he's a very powerful person in the world, in the network, he was subservient to the Rothschilds. That was clear. So they played a big part. Clearly. I think they got a cut also, probably. Oh, really? Probably got a cut on everything uh, every time he sold me. So in the following year, I was sent to Germany quite a bit and spent time with a former chancellor there. Weekends with a former, um, you know, Kurt Kiesinger is his name. Not to be confused with Henry Kissinger, Kurt Kiesinger. So... I'm sure he paid and I'm sure that and at the end, yeah, anyway, I, I I do know from other things as well that the Rothschilds had he had to give his permission. He also was involved in the decision of what to do, how you know, what to do with me, um, what to use me for, you know, which part of the because I was gonna be very sexualized, you know, so it was part of the pedophile agenda, I guess. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think they were definitely, they definitely have a lot of power. Do you know which Rothschild that was? Have you ever named them? And No, I haven't named which Rothschild it was. Hmm. Or you... the American, I've been uh, threatened by. You've been threatened? To... Yeah, to not name the American. Oh. Yeah. Who's threatened you? Well, let's just say that I, I was infiltrated in 2020 when I started talking about this. Well, after I started talking about this, but I was approached by a lawyer to file a lawsuit because New York just came out with um, the Child Victims Act, where you had a window where you could go back no matter how long ago the sexual abuse, the child sexual abuse had happened, you could file a lawsuit now. The um, So there was one year window where you could do that. So this lawyer had approached me to go and do that. So we had approached the family. And once we started to do that, and once they found out from an interview that I did that there were other um, defendants willing to step forward, I was infiltrated and by a survivor who had already been i mean i have a i had an online group for survivors a chat group for survivors of, of sra and, and and mind control and so she was already in that group and this you know um i 
Yes, I, I mean, I figured it out after a while because I was also trained to be a spy. So when she was trying to spy on me, she got me right at my weak spot, which was my blind spot, which in my case was that I wanted to really support survivors and I was going to kind of, you know, want to do anything for other survivors. And um, so she played on that really well done. And, you know, she was kind of playing double agent that she was seeing the family, but she really wanted to do something for me and for the case. And she was trying to get information, uh, which I didn't give her, but she also let slide, let, you know, slip in once in a while, you know, that I could be killed any moment. She let me know that she knew where I lived, things like that. You know, like she wouldn't say it. I know where you live like a mafia style, but she would say, well, I just saw the heir, which was then the heir of that family. And after that, I don't know, but I have to go to this place. And it was like, oh, that's like two minutes from where I live. <laughs> yeah. Those very so it was, kind of threats. Yes, always veiled. Yeah, very veiled. But obviously not something that anybody can be caught on. It's like I couldn't go to the police with these threats. But I know because I've been in it. So I know how to recognize it. too. Right. Is that Rothschild still alive? Yes. Interesting. Never touched me, by the way. Maybe interesting to note. Do are, are some of them active though? In in the do they get in the in the nitty gritty of things? I don't know. I never saw them, mm -hmm. other than that one time. Mm -hmm. Interesting. It's 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 amazing to hear, you know, because a lot of this stuff people will talk about it and and sort of the mainstream will consider it like conspiracy theory or, you know, a lot of people talk about the Rothschilds and these elite families and government. And I mean, and you're, you're saying that, you know, this happened to you, you experienced this, these, you know, from, from doctors to politicians to, you know, noble families. Um, what do you suppose it is that, that people refuse to, to believe that this is happening? I understand very well why you would not want to believe that this is happening. I had a hard time believing that it happened to me. <laughs> it's a long process. You know, there's a reason that I'm 60 years old and I just started speaking out like 10 years ago. Did, did you almost not believe that it happened or did it take you a while to remember any of it? Or did you always? Absolutely. I mean, first of all, I started getting memories apparently quite early when I was in my 20s and but I had flashbacks and I had you know I also I mean the programmation is really crazy because you get programmed also to think that you're crazy when you remember it so everything is based on natural survival impulses that then get manipulated and pushed so that it becomes a program so you know, you don't really want to believe something like that happened to you, but then you get this programmation that is this repetitive trauma-based repetition that you should kill yourself or that you are crazy and that everybody's going to think that you're crazy, which is not such a crazy thing to think. So I was having these flashbacks. I was in therapy. I was getting, other, and, and, and the therapists were not open because it's so extreme. So first the therapists were, I didn't know that these were high profile people at first. I just had these images that were coming back to me and I, 
and my body was, I mean, it's not like the, the memory was not in my body. It was horrendous what I was going through, but I couldn't find anyone who would even be open to considering that this was even true. So I thought I was crazy. I thought anyway, I should kill myself if it is true. So it took 10 years uh, from 87 to 97 to find even the therapist that would that would listen that would that was open and and then had a lot to do also with the Dutou case in Belgium so that's a very big case you can look up but Mark Dutou was it's sort of like the the Belgian Jeffrey Epstein situation but it was immediately linked to the murders of young children young girls Mark Dutou in 1996, this case just, it was international. And they found four bodies of little girls. And so he, Mark Dutou said he was working for a network for VIPs. And then, you know, in the beginning, everybody was on board with that theory, including the New York Times, including the world press. And then I had my context. And then very soon, after people were um after people were locked up the the story changed completely and then it took 8 years for this case to go to trial and then eventually only Marc Dutroux was the one sole you know uh, psychopath but one of the defendants was somebody who 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 tortured me in the network really one of the defendants of that case yeah Michel Nihou was somebody who I had a lot to do with at the end when I was there. So do you think they just threw Mark under the bus so everybody else kind of got out of the the hot uh, hot water there? Exactly. And not only they threw him under the bus, but they're still talking a few years ago about trying to get him out of prison, you know? He's in prison. And he's now back to saying that it was a network, of course, but who believes him. But... There was a lawyer fighting really hard to get him released. And then that became the, the news. You know, it's sort of like the powerful people that are behind this network in Belgium are, con I feel like they're constantly mocking, trying to mock people yeah. for whatever, you know, because they have the influence and the control. So obviously it's not a theory in my case, but I understand it's hard to understand because it's hard to absorb because it's so dark. And then not only that, if you accept that this is true, like say you accept it, you'll be more likely to accept it from me because I speak of experience. But so if you do accept it, though, it may really challenge your worldview. That's not easy. It may challenge your own relationship to authorities because these are the authority figures of the world that are involved in these things. So it takes a lot of uh, courage to even really want to look at it. It may, it may take some personal work to even really absorb it. I would imagine there's a lot of even police involved in it, right? Go government officials on that level? Yes, and it's obviously certain people there's certain police there's certain heads of police there's certain government officials there's certain judges there's certain lawyers 
but it's always enough to block a case, for example. It's enough to get a case thrown out or, you know, it's it's always enough to just make things, to sabotage things. Right. They're pushing things in the in the direction that they that they need to go, right? Yes. And and the other police that don't really want to participate in this are um too scared to do anything. Like there's police who have said that to people that they're too scared mm -hmm. because they, they do know. They do know what happens, but they can't do anything about it. And a lot of them are Masons, I think. Um, you had mentioned the Masons before, and I've had some conversations with a number of Masons, and it's kind of wild to me how many of them are themselves duped. Um, they think that the Masons are just, you know, bunch of guys learning secrets and and having beers on the weekend or something w would you say that or do you have any concept of like what portion of the masons were involved in this kind of stuff was it an inner core that's exactly it there have to be a ton of people who are duped and believe the supposed mission of whatever secret society it is and but the only reason that there's such focus on keeping the secrets and that the rights that you go through when you become a Mason are so severe and the punishment for speaking out is so severe, that is only because of what goes on, I think, in the 33rd uh, degree or something. And, and that is always by invitation. So when I'm talking about the triage that happens, they're seeing if people are willing to do anything, if they're pedophiles, if they're, you know, if they're no good, basically. And then on the highest level, on the 33rd degree, by invitation only. It's the same in the satanic church. You can be part of the satanic church and nothing untoward is really going to be revealed. But in the highest levels, you have to be, you, you have to be invited. And then what does it mean then? I call them Satanists because of what I saw. These were the people like... The American billionaire that wanted to own me, he was definitely a Satanist. Maybe he called himself Luciferian. You know, there's all just so much arrogance in these circles, right? So they all like have to be better than the next. So to say Satanic is vulgar, but Luciferian maybe or whatever. But um, what they did was completely Satanic. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Did you witness any... Um rituals you know what did what did that entail because that's another thing too that people don't want to uh, believe exists is this you know this this group of satanic people across the world it's a it's a very prominent sort of hidden in the shadows thing yeah there's a corruption and the pedophilia and you know having material on people and then there's the belief which is a different thing and it's so insane so yes, is the answer. I did witness it. And, and again, when we're, when we're having trouble believing it because it's so extreme and we don't want to believe that these people that we looked up to could be completely insane that they're going to be doing stuff like that as what we, you know, what is described, which is, which I've seen. When you're, the influence is all used 
to indeed make it seem ridiculous. You know, uh, it's not for nothing that this is called a conspiracy theory either. It's not for nothing that there's so much, you know, I have a large following relative, you know, considering what I talk about, but I've never been invited on a really big platform. And I think that's not for nothing. That's not by accident. Right. Because whether it's the right or the left, whether it's the truthers on the supposed right or whether it's, you know, the the, the uh, liberals that are really afraid to go uh, in this direction anyway, because they don't want to be called conspiracy theorists. It's always um, going to be what, what I say from experience. That's a different story. And I don't align with the right I, I'm at all, in fact. Yeah. So I'm, I can only speak about my experience. And even speaking of my experience, I understand I've done so much healing that I can speak very clearly and plainly about it. So I understand that sometimes someone who is not as healed sometimes, you know, could express more feelings. It, you know, certain things I can start talking about, I, I would cry, but mostly I've healed. So it's always, I'm always measuring what I say to communicate as clearly as possible it's not an easy job yeah but satanic rituals they do happen and these people sell their soul for power and money and it's uh, quite literal and it's very creepy and they're completely insane that this i mean i see everything in terms of psychology that is my Um, that's my, that's my strong point because I've been healing, you know, I've spent 40 years healing different modalities, but mostly therapy. So I've been going through so many rounds. I'm still healing, of course, but going through so much of integration, you know, allowing something that was dissociated because of the trauma to allow that into my myself by breaking through the shame and confronting it as it was and bringing that new perspective from the adult that the child couldn't have and uh, bringing that reflection that the child needed, the unconditional presence and the love that the child needed and the reflection that it wasn't, you know, that, that the child was innocent and it wasn't her fault. I've been going through that so many times and when you go through that process, that integration process, you you grow, you change, you become more you, you feel you're more yourself, you're better able to focus. So I've been, I came from being extremely dissociated and being unable to really do anything of much of anything because everything was sort of emotional repeat stories of my, my childhood. And then going into increasingly clarity and focus and now that doesn't happen if you're making things up so the healing has given me these deep insights into my own psychology and then by extension because i've been in that world so much and because i've been in that state of survivalist of, you know pure sheer survival where all the brain activity retreats to the amygdala you know, basically the brainstem and then just the amygdala and then in that fight flight freeze state where 
just everything stops and there's only your 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 most primal impulses that when you're in that state if you put a cortex over that you have a psychopath hmm. that is somebody who has no activity in the limbic system anymore because all the emotions have been shut out that is to say everything that makes someone human like i think a psychopath is really someone who never got that reflection of their innocence their light their their the loving human being that they are you know the light that is inside of them and so there's sort of people that are forced to always live outside themselves and then forced to take worldly power in these cases with people with a lot of privilege and, and entitlement who need all this status and money to give themselves any kind of self-esteem because they don't have anything apart from that. And I found that all the people that did give in to the pedophilia, all my perpetrators, which I think is about 200 men, all of them were repeating. That's to say all of them, you know, when you're abused sexually, there's you could be humiliated, really deeply humiliated. At any rate, when you're a child and there's an adult, there's fear because there, you can't fight. You can't kill them and be free of it. You can't flee. You know, you can't run away like in nature. You have to freeze. And in that freeze state, that is also... A survival mechanism so your your body mind system just slows down your blood flows more slowly um but whatever it is that you're going to do is dependent on the abuser what they need from you because as a child you're tuned in you're going to tune in and you're going to for your survival soon you're going to find out what you need to do for this survive for this perpetrator and as that comes into you you go first in the trauma state and then you go into the survival mode which which it's very tricky with sex abuse because when you're raped when you're in a free state you may experience pleasure and certainly there are perpetrators that need you to to to, to feel pleasure because they need to feel that they're not doing anything wrong so you're going to feel pleasure and then as a child you could never say that you didn't want it so now you believe as a child that you, you, not that you were raped, because nobody uses that word. That word meant nothing to me as a child. You think you're in the situation, which is normal because it's happening. So you deserve it. And um, you're getting this attention. You're feeling pleasure. So you wanted it. So you're the whore. And you um, maybe finding attention so you're now feeling that love means giving sexually and then that's how you get that's how i got i was trained on top of it so it's um it's very difficult obviously to go to all these different uh phases of fear and you feeling humiliation feeling because there are all different kinds of perpetrators so I felt that the perpetrators, they were putting out on me something that had emotionally been done to them. So it was probably sexual, otherwise they wouldn't have the, the impulse to also transgress in that way. 
So they were so, all deeply traumatized themselves. And that sort of, that's what makes up this group of people, you would say? Absolutely. Because if you have no trauma and you have good self-esteem, why would you need worldly status for anyway? You wouldn't seek it. You wouldn't seek power. It's all about that. It's all about people that are too traumatized. So they need money and, and uh, you know, the power gives you everything. It gives you the money, it gives you the sex, and it gives you all the drugs you want in the world. So you can just engage in all addictions that you want and have an, a, a perfect, perfectly acceptable image, which you pay for, for the image. And you have the influence to keep that image going mm -hmm. at infinitum. But you're really a deeply traumatized, insecure human being who doesn't know anything from anything, really no wisdom whatsoever. And that's why the power also makes sure that you never get too close to these people. Hmm. And when you do, it would be in some kind of like a addiction, you know, like you would have sex with them or something, but you never really get close to them that you would see how, how pitiful they really are. What, what percentage of these people would you say are bred into this that are purposely traumatized within like families? Does that happen a lot? It does. Yeah, it is a culture. So in my experience, these uh, families that are from the nobility, they bring their own kids and they are happy. They believe that the world should just all change into one big incest pit. They, they really believe that there's nothing wrong with sexual abuse and this, um, and so it continues. And so you could you you can see that though too that if you go a higher up in any sphere, like in the fashion world or in really anywhere in the art world, you go high up enough where people have the most power, and sexualizing children is normalized already. That's why you see just absolutely disgusting stuff, and it's celebrated, you know. Yeah, we see that a lot in in Hollywood and in fashion. We have the whole um, forget that company name that, that they were outed for having Balenciaga. Balenciaga, right? They had pedophilia stuff in their in their videos or their ads or whatever. We see a lot of that, and I, I come from the world of of acting as well. I was an actor for twenty years, um, and so I, yeah, I could see you know the the higher up you go. Um, the more corrupted it, it could get. Um, usually those that's where the, the worst people are, <laughs> the harder to deal with people. Um, as far as celebrities, though, how often does that happen with the celebrities? Like how, how many of them are, are really groomed and, and sort of um, put in the industry for, for these nefarious reasons? Well, that's what was supposed to happen to me. And while it was happening, I was, tr I was, um, I had singing lessons from a famous French composer singer the, who create, who, who writes these pop songs, you know, that these sexy pop songs, you could say at age nine. And so he molested me while he was giving me singing lessons and I was naked because it also affects the voice. So I had to be sexualized as I sang. So he was molesting me as I was as I was having these lessons. I mean, he was also enjoying it, 
Um, so it was supposed to happen to me. So we can only assume. I mean, I started as a throwaway slave and then and then my status changed, which is unusual. But this weird thing happened where this um, American took in an interest in me and then he decided my my life for me, you know, what my life would be like. My whole life was planned out with the help of this Rothschild. And so, you know, that was that happened to me at age nine. So I, I'm sure a lot of the celebrities that you see, I was, I spent the last week that I spent what I call the core of power with this American. The 30th of April is a, is a big day for the Satanists. I don't know why, but the week before April 30th of 1973, there was, there were festivities, you could say all week long, horrific things. I, I was First of all, I I was given out to a lot of celebrities that week, and so I and I saw a lot of people that were there. I performed that week. Can you I name sang. people, celebrities? I have named some, um, but I'm not I'm not there yet. I I think in some near future time i will be able to name a lot more people i i, I did um place eddie you know i i put some people on my instagram page so eddie arnold was definitely maybe somebody you know i don't know this was 1973 so we're not talking freddie star was a famous comedian eddie arnold was a very celebrated uh country singer i believe in the united states um but there were not only Celebrities, and singers, very famous singers, very famous actors, um, but also royalty. There was also there were also politicians. I could I can place Henry Kissinger there, although he didn't abuse me, but he was there. Okay, not surprised to hear that name. And then Kissinger was the German politician, you, you know, things change, you know, in uh, 50 years, but these were people who were very famous 50 years ago. And, um, and, and they were, you know, Freddie Starr and Eddie Arnold were both um, my abusers. Wow. So it's likely that that's still happening these days with the, with the people that, some of the people at least that, that we're all seeing on TV, music, movies, and all that. Well, my question is, why wouldn't it be happening? Right. I, I think like anything else, though, there is like an inner core with that, too. Like, I I, I hate that people blanket the entire industry. Because right. uh, I, you know, I never. Me, too. I hate that, too. Yeah, because there's a lot of good people in there, too. Like, I don't want to... Um, you know, twisted up that I never, you know, walked on a movie set and saw like people doing satanic rituals or anything. Like some people have that idea that it, it could would, happen, but you would, would never see that. Yeah. You would never see that. If there were people on that set who would be involved in those things, it wouldn't be in front of your eyes. Right. It's the parties right in the hills or, you know, um, the, a small core core group. It's the parties in the hills, and then there's the after party and the after after party. Mm -hmm. That's how it goes. Right. Because the people that are there, 
in the early part of the evening, they, they may have no idea what happens afterwards. That's what I was telling you before. I was kept in separate rooms until those people that were not ready or that were not going to, were gone. And then the children were brought, brought in very late for those that were already ready, that had already been compromised in that way. And then the children were just there at the parties. That makes a lot of sense because everything they do, including government, is compartmentalized. Everything is very carefully compartmentalized. So, yeah, I think people definitely need to to understand that, that it's they need this sort of constructed facade around these things. No matter they need what. sincere people. They need the sincere Masons. They need the sincere Satanists. They need the sincere Catholics. They need the sincere people in the movie industry. There's so many good people in the movie industry that are so sincere, you know. But Isaac Cappy is dead. Yes. He, he, he outed a lot of people, including Tom Hanks. And Tom Hanks, I believe, still has his comments off on Instagram. I remember back in 2020 or whenever it was, his comments were like miles long of people calling him a pedophile uh and there was a 14 year old who came out and said like hey tom hanks tried to buy me or sell me or what whatever the case was she said uh, she was 13 when it happened yeah yeah she said she was 13 when she was raped by him no one ever talked about nobody it didn't make the news right that's what i mean it did not make the news and that's what i mean with the control from their end the influence they have. That American, although he had to go and ask permission from the Rothschilds, he had a lot of control. He was very proud of the power that he had behind the scenes. He was a stupid guy. I mean, in that sense, really stupid. You know, those people, again, when you get close enough, any person who has to have sex with a child is a total loser. Agreed. <laughs> and... So it's all about their image. It's all about keeping the lies going. And so this man, it's like a household name. Well, it's all, you know, using the money and also the, 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 the violence to make sure that this remains a secret. And however that happens, you know, at the moment, I'm still being largely ignored which is very good for them. And if I would not be ignored anymore, then there are people just like we were saying, you know, it's not everybody who works in the media, in the, the mainstream media, obviously not. But we need a lot of, like the sincere people are also the true believers. So there's a lot of sincere people that work in the media who also fully don't believe that this could be true. And that's really the problem. Yeah, which is exactly why I, I like talking to people like you because, you know, I'm not I'm not doing this because I want cool sound bites for my podcast. Like I want people to believe and understand that this is a real thing. This is happening in the world um, because there's so much, you know, skepticism and just like flat out refusing to accept somebody's experiences. Uh, I mean, it's insane. This is happening. I've I've, you know, researched it enough and talked to enough people to know that it is. And 
and the people who are in in media and all in politics or whatever need to step up. I mean, I don't expect much from politics. I'm not a very political person, but um, they need to step up and start taking this seriously. And they're, they're not. It's always a conspiracy theory. It's always, you know, this sort of put in this stupid category. Well, you can't say that I'm saying what I say are theory, is a theory, first of all. It's not a theory. It's my experience. And the other thing is like, if I wanted attention or money, this is not what I would do. Obviously, I'm not somebody who's stupid. So it would be a really stupid thing to do if it wasn't true, because I get in so much trouble. It's not like it's usually received very well. I get attacked a lot. This is why I waited so long to speak out, because there was a lot of pressure on me to speak out because of the Dutul case. And I was speaking to people in Belgium and they were all saying, you should, you should, you should go public. You should speak about this because there were Belgian, other survivors in Belgium did go public. And I was seeing what was happening to them. And I said, no way, I'm not going public. This is horrific, how they're treated, how they're disrespected. So I said, no, I got to wait. I have to wait until I'm strong enough that when I get called a liar or no, I, I, I'm at the point where I say, I had a professional career too. You know, I, I, I had a nonprofit organization. I was going into the prisons. I, I was doing workshops, people coming from all over the world. So it's not like I had nothing to lose. Sure. And even now, I, I have a lot to lose still, but just for speaking out. And 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 I get threatened, you know, right? So, so. You get a lot of threats? No, 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 no. But they're serious, you know, I got it. So once I got it, it's it's okay, I got it. So now I have to just calculate i have to always see what is the right thing to say when but obviously it takes a lot of courage for me to speak out it's not so, it's not a, a good way to get attention if i wanted attention i would have taken my top off when i was 20 you know not go when i have a comfortable life at 60 go and talk about this stuff like obviously that's not a good way to get attention that's not or make money yeah it's better ways if I wanted to make money, I would have stayed in it. You know, I made a choice even at age 10 to not be part of it. That's why I'm here. I mean, I, I was rescued, but basically I got kicked out twice. I got kicked out of the core when, you know, being part of this network means you're going to be compromised. And the training, the mind control training involved, I was a child, so I wasn't, a willing participant but these trainings are absolutely devious and you're doing things you would never want to do it's not about anymore being raped and thinking that it is just sex it's way beyond that so so what i had to do to belong which there was an induction ceremony which was around april 30th 1973 i was like no I don't care. I don't want to be part of it. I don't want to do what I have to do to belong. And at age 10, I rebelled. And at age 10, I was literally not only kicked out, I don't know why I wasn't killed, but I was reprogrammed uh, with her horror, horrible stuff and then sort of thrown back to the Belgians. And then in the Belgian network, my book starts 
after that happened. And that's the last year in the network in Belgium. So it, it sort of goes back to, in, in the story, I go back to my, my training, the mind control training and everything, but it's very much the, from the point of view, from the child. But so it's, entail, what did they want you to do that you were unwilling to do? Kill. So you had to be compromised by, by murdering someone. Hmm. And how was that, how was that presented to you? Um, the, the network does operate that way. So when I was chosen a year earlier, I went into this mind control training and then they're already killing is part of the program. And it's, you know, it's, it's this, it's so sick, it's hard to talk about, but let's just say that the Nazis never stopped doing their experiments and their, so, you know, it, you get forced, you, you realize that if you don't do it, it's going to be worse for the victim. They make you understand right from the start, that if you don't do it, it's going to be worse for the victim. So you feel that you have to do it because it's going to be more compassionate that you do it. So they'll be more brutal if you don't. It'll be worse and it'll be in front of your eyes and it'll be worse for the victim if you don't do it. So did that happen when you refused though? I didn't refuse on the spot. I rebelled after. Mm-hmm. That's horrible. Yeah. And so then they threw you back to the the Belgian network, you said. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was tortured for several days to make sure that I would never become successful. <laughs> um, you know, because I'd been trained to be a public figure. So they they reprogrammed me, tortured me, humiliated me. The where the craziest things. Uh, the the Dr. Hans Harmsen was also there, by the way, and the American was there at times. But just to make sure that I would feel like they do the worst things to you with drugs, and you know you're naked, you're exposed, you're just like the worst possible condition. They make you into sort of like. Worse than a dog, you know, or worse than a rat, whatever, you know, in chains, you know, like the, the worst possible. And then they say, see, that's what you are. And as a child, you know, again, you take it on yourself. But, and then you, then they keep screaming at you that you're worth nothing. You're, you're you know, loser is a big one for me. Um, that you will never be successful. And that, that programming, I have to say, it was very, very, because it was so intense, it was very strong. I mean, it was a really large overlay uh, most of my adult life. Yeah, that must be a hard programming to break, I'm sure. I mean, most people, you know, grow up 
with, um, you know, self-confidence issues or it takes a while to work themselves up into, into an adult with, with a good sense of self-esteem. So going through horrific things like that, where somebody is purposely, you know, embedding that into you constantly. I mean, I, I give you a lot of credit. Um, uh, you know, I, I think you're probably more confident than I am, <laughs> you know, um, I've done a lot of work on myself. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, but and... the, the confidence I was given as a persona was also not really me. You know, that wasn't real either. Mm -hmm. That was, I was going along because I'd been treated like absolute shit the first three years. And then suddenly everybody was treating me like I was like some kind of a sex goddess. So that was a lot better. Mm. That attention that I was receiving and also other aspects of my personality were being, were being seen, were being, you know, um, I was, cause they, they're very smart in that sense. Like interestingly, psychology, they can see, they got my talents, my innate talents, and then took those and then set about to torture me to bring those talents out, but for their purposes, not for me. I was going to sing and act, but it was for their, for that, for them. Mm -hmm. Psychopaths are very smart and they're very charming usually, which is a problem, especially if they're in government and, you know, these places of, of high power. Well, the charm of a psychopath or a sociopath has a lot to do with young child parts like an actor is, uh, actors have that too. You have these little parts. And so what psychopaths do is they have these innocent parts inside of them, but there's a story there. So they bring that part out just in the beginning, let's say, right? In the, in the, in the what it's called the, the seduction phase. So whether it's seducing a, a, a person, whether it's seducing a public, it's that, whether it's seducing on the camera, the public on camera, that child part is they let it out of themselves. That child part just takes over. And that's why it's so difficult also because I was mind control trained, you know? So I know that when I was with the person, I was completely with them and it was completely believe I had obviously these very powerful men, if they believed that I was spying on them and you know if that was visible at all it would never work they would I would have to be completely with them and in love with them and see them you know see them as this person they wanted to be seen as and see their weakness and then yet nurture them in that place you know so but they know all of that they feel all of it they're very sensitive so when you put this innocent part out which I was also taught to do it's being it comes out in this way and then you yourself exploit that because you yourself only let it out for exploitative reasons so then that part disappears and out comes whatever it is you know if it only comes out on camera or if it only comes out when you're pulling somebody in because you want the, to seduce them or if you only put it out when you're on the campaign trail it's not real mm -hmm. but it seems very real that's why the mind control is, is really powerful. It's mm -hmm. good. I mean, it's very convincing. Yeah. 
that's why people refuse to believe that you know the the people, their politicians, and all all these people would would do anything to harm them. And then the other parts are so dark. You know, this is one part. So you're speaking all these people that are involved, they're extremely dissociated. So you have that one part that is all charm, and then you have another part that will kill a child. Mm. And believe, and believe, and just completely, you know, completely, like charm is all gone, and it's completely that. And so, of course, you don't want to believe it, because what you see in front of you on TV or whatever, because we don't know these people. The truth is we don't really know these people. Mm -hmm. Even if we have met them in person, we don't really know them. But the dissociation is such that I I got fooled by the this woman who was infiltrating. I was fooled because she got my weak spot. Of course, with me, it helps me to it helps me to 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 heal. And then to be aware of it and then not have that weak spot anymore. But I'd been through the same as her, but she was so convincing when she was talking to me that she was with me and, and she used humor and, you know, things that really get me. Mm -hmm. And I was doing the same thing with the men. Very convincing. You know, this Kurt Kiesinger guy, he was... He really liked me very, very much because I was doing exactly what I was trained to do using these parts that are created for that purpose. Hmm. And then I had another part that when the American asked me what his, weak, what his weakness was, I could just tell him, oh, he thinks he's a good person. Did, did, did he? He believed that, yeah. That's amazing. He believed that he was good. Yeah, I would. I would have to ask what 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 his definition of good was. You know, right? Yeah, he loved Germany, and he thought he was really doing. He believed that he was doing good for the country. You know, um, he really loved. He taught me to speak German. Um, yeah, there's good sides. Uh, the American really loved nature. I mean, but anyway, there was in me there was this part that was you know, able to be fully present with Kiesinger and then fully present with my owner when I'm going to report, a reporter part. Different, different part, dissociated. And I would have to be fully in that part when, when I'm with either. At full, it's 100%. So it seems like that's all there is. Was there any, was there ever a moment, Annika, where you where you had a, a a chance or to to maybe grab a policeman or, or or if there was somebody with a little bit more good in them that you could you know make an effort toward toward an escape did that ever happen or were you completely just like cut off from any hope of of exiting that that life you know when i was a little girl i thought i was a i thought i was a prostitute so it's not like I thought that anything that was happening to me was something that I did not fully deserve. So when there were times that were bleeding in, because most of the time I was I was so dissociated that in the 
when I was going to school, I could not know that I was a whore or I would not be able to show my face because there's way too much shame. So the shame created this iron curtain that I wasn't aware of what was happening in, in weekends or you know sometimes it would be in the daytime or whatever, but I wasn't aware. Most of the time I wasn't aware, but I could tell you that there were, that I was always trying to speak out and that was really hard because I was looking for good people, but I couldn't really find many. And there were some nice people in the village and I, I, I really got a lot from strangers kindness because my mother and my stepfather, they weren't, yeah, they weren't kind people at all. And um, they didn't love me, but they were kind people and I could trust in their heart. And that, it gave me a lot, but I would never dare to dream, to, to, to speak about any of this, either because I didn't in the moment know it or because I was too ashamed. And then later, when it's about police, like I didn't trust the police. I went to the police in the 80s, actually. And I, I, I started talking about the, the husband of the cleaning lady and I got completely ridiculed. So I could just imagine what would have said if Paul van der Boenans, the the minister, you know, the, the former prime minister, would have said that. You know, I would have been kicked out. I think. You know, this times have changed. People were not. This is still so controversial now. Just imagine what it would have been like like thirty years ago. Yes, to be ridiculed, uh, saying something like that is just unimaginable. Uh, I don't know why anybody would do that. Well, that cop thought it was ridiculous that I had waited so long to come and talk about it. Hmm. But he was also very careless. Like he said, oh, we probably have a file on the guy. But it was very clear that nothing was going to happen. Yeah. So it's not the police. I have worked with interrogators from the Dutul case who um, were taken off the case and then privately kept trying to work on it because the, the case was, by what the looks of it, completely sabotaged. But these initial interrogators that were sincere and were thrown off for some technicality that wasn't even correct. So I've talked, I've spoken to them privately. Have you heard of the Hampstead kids? Mm -hmm. it was a, yeah, it was a very famous case in the UK, I believe. Um, and I think there, that, that was sort of the deal there, uh, where there were some cops that were, you know, making an honest effort for the case. And then somehow it turned around and they found the, the father of the kids who, who was the, you know, um, alleged, uh, leader of the satanic pedo ring they found him innocent and you know he went on like 2020 or one of those big shows and i mean uh you know i'll turn in my screen actors guild card if that guy is not <laughs> acting so badly in that in that interview i mean he is just he's hamming it up trying to cry but nothing's coming out i mean just the worst actor i mean this guy is guilty as sin and it, I was always mind boggled that that 
person could be found innocent. Um, and those kids could be, um, like have any skepticism thrown their way. I mean, these are little kids. I don't even know how this six, seven, something like that, maybe. Uh, and then we're talking about horrific, like satanic rituals, um, killing babies, uh, you know, the whole, the whole deal. Uh, I mean, people are really, I don't know. They're just off their head when it comes to this stuff. Yeah, children are still not believed. I mean, children would never lie about things like that. But um, in Belgium, I speak, so I speak to, so I work with survivors, but I obviously get contacted a lot by people who've experienced this or something like the mothers. Mothers who try to protect their children or fathers or parents who try to protect their children from the abusive parents and find that ultimately that one person from the network gets in there and the children are placed with the abuser uh, parent. Mm. So there's quite a few mothers out there. Yeah. That are, or I say mothers cause I know mostly mothers, but I also know one father. So there's these parents out there who uh, have lost their kids to this trying to protect in spite of trying to protect them. And it's, it becomes very blatant. My next podcast guest is a mother like that, a French mother who's two children. Um, she already had custody of them because of the abuse by the father. And he was um, uh, uh, diagnosed. And a year later, her kids were kidnapped in a move by a judge that was really not even legal. She's not got them back. She can't see them. Because there's one judge and then one police. A lot of judges are involved. And child services, in yeah. her case. Child services as well. Yeah. I was told by a Mason personally that, that there's a lot of uh, judges that hang out, like Supreme Court judges that, uh, you know, they're hanging out at Bohemian Grove and... Um, you know, they're Masons and all that. Uh, but of course, he didn't divulge anything, you know, sinister. It was all theater and fun and acting, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it truly goes so deep. Um, before, if, we, if you're okay on time, Monica, I wanted to ask you about, um, you dedicated your book to uh, some children that you encounter, encountered in your experiences can you can you talk a little bit about them well i dedicated my book to the children who died and um you know mostly i want to say there's quite a few um but i you know i cannot accept that their lives are not known not that people don't even believe that they lived and died and how they died and this is how this is why I do what I do anyway, because their life, their lives matter and they mattered. And that's what, that's what inspires me because I cannot accept that children would have to die the way they did and that people would laugh at it and say that I'm lying. Mm. A lot of people right now with the whole Epstein thing are really uh, skeptical uh, 
including people who are, you know, usually kind of on our side of the fence. Um, I think maybe because it's being so publicized and, you know, with the various rings of, um, you know, infiltration. Yeah. Right. It's so like it, it, they see it as impossible that this would be put out in the media. Why, why do you think they are publicizing the, the Epstein case? Do you think there's anything fishy going on there? I have no idea, you know, let's see what, I have no idea why. I think there's a natural movement towards exposing things more. But then what I notice is, um, you know, first of all, turning this whole, turning my story into a conspiracy theory. Um, and then not only making it, making that into a conspiracy theory, they always go to drinking the blood, which is something that does really happen. But they always go, well, you know, and then you have these people killing children and drinking their blood. That's ridiculous. So that's all that's being said. So it's being mocked and ridiculed. But but then they throw in other things that are completely, you know, people who then say, yes, we believe that save the children and then flat earth. And, you know, and then and then they all these other earth. things yeah. that, that, that come in there, like what? Well, that must be on purpose to make everything ridiculous. Yes. Yeah. And it's almost just as outlandish. <laughs> That's what's crazy about it. It's true that the world is a lot crazier than maybe we believe, but. Yes. I, I That's can... the growth, you know, like it's for each person to be able to discern what is truth and what is lies. Mm-hmm. And not just everything, especially politically right now, is being so divided that the right has this supposedly is, you know, the right is now the side that is against pedophilia. But then they're going to put pedophilia only with the liberals. You know, obviously, this is complete BS. Hmm. Obviously, putting, if you... I, I try to do work with um, with politics a little bit, get you know get the the cause into involved in the cause for a little bit, and I, I it it was just learning what I kind of already knew or what I should have known, and but but I'll tell you that uh, the politicians that are supposedly doing everything to end sex trafficking and you know have had no qualms to throw me under the bus because I'm not the right profile. You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm educated. I'm ver I'm, I'm older. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I have great self-confidence. I'm not a good um, victim mm -hmm. and I'm not good for the political cause, but if you politicize this, you're, you're done. It's already, it's, it's already lost. You've already lost. Yeah, that's why they're, they're so dependent on the political system because it keeps that division going. It keeps the the infighting. But you know, you can web search right now uh, Republicans who have been arrested for uh, you'll find just as many as the liberals, right? They're Wasn't Dennis Hastert a, a Republican? He was. He was Speaker of the House. He went to prison for pedophilia. Nobody talks about that. He was Speaker of the House. <laughs> what was his name? Dennis Hastert. He was uh, under the Bush regime. Okay. Yeah, there's plenty. It just doesn't, it doesn't plenty. make it. 
It's only on the local news. Yeah. There's a reason for that. It should be really big news, shouldn't it? Yeah, it should, for sure. You said there's, you know, a group of these people in every kind of, in every place. Are there any, like, telltale warning signs or what can people do about this? You know, because it seems like such a big, massive thing. Um, is there anything we can look out for to find where these things are happening? That I don't know, but I thought you were going to ask, how can you recognize the people that are involved? <laughs> well, that too. Yeah. Yeah. So there's something that all these people have in common, and that is tremendous arrogance, even if it doesn't show, you know, even if you get the charm, because they're in a seduction phase, there's tremendous arrogance because you do have to feel that you're a better kind of species than the rest of people in order to, to commit these crimes. And there's usually uh, something missing in the heart that you really, when you, when you come across a person like that, when you're face to face with someone like that, they're cold, there's something missing. And you can tell in that sense that if you're a person who's just, um, spontaneous, for example, there's something blocking the heart. I, I hope that's not a too woo-woo a description. Um, but I think most importantly, what we can do is to raise awareness. And for that, we need to just first accept that, accept this, discern, you know, use our discernment and accept and 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 learn more about this. And then as we know, if you know that politicians likely are involved with this then you know it changes everything doesn't it yes it should and that just means that enough people have to be open to this reality at this time that's what i feel yeah absolutely well i want you to uh hold up your book before we wrap this up um for anybody who wants to uh, give it a read. I'm sure I'm going to read it myself because I'm sure it's an amazing uh, story. Uh, it's called Quest for Love, Memoir of a Child Sex Slave. That's the book. Find this on Amazon and everywhere, right? You can buy it on Amazon, but you can't, you have to be careful because when you do a search on Amazon, you you won't find it. Um, it's somehow the search is blocked. <laughs> I found it on Amazon. You found you didn't find the, the heart. You didn't find the heart. I mean, this is a, a paperback. You would not have found a paperback on Amazon. You you would have found only the Kindle version. So if you want to find the paperback, you can go to my website, which is my name, AnnikaLucas.com. So you can link to the Amazon um, paperback or you can uh, Google it. And then also the, the paperback will come up. But it is blocked on Amazon. The search is blocked. <laughs> Yeah, don't shop on Amazon anyway if you can avoid it. <laughs> we don't need to do that. <laughs> Plenty it's the of only other... place you can buy it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, Annika, uh, I'm so sorry for what you endured, but I'm I'm so glad that you're uh, speaking out and you're out there helping uh, other people who might uh, you know be dealing with this. And uh, and thank you so much for talking to me and and uh, you know putting the word out. Really mm -hmm. appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Annika. Hey, it's me. Before I go, I just wanted to say a quick thank you to everyone who has donated lately. You may or may not know, 
Lighton has suffered catastrophic equipment failure in the past few months, including uh, the main computer that I use and the main hard drive that I use. Pretty much everything has been failing, uh, and I've received a lot of really nice donations in the past few months. So uh, here's a, uh, a quick list. If I forget you, please feel free to write me a comment on Instagram or something, and I'll include you in the next episode. Uh, but here's the list that I got off of buymeacoffee.com. Natalie Walter, thank you so much. Kieran Lapworth, David Frontera, Carmen Ospecia, Carmen Ospecia. think that's right. I'm sorry if I butcher your name. Denise Curran, huge contributor. Thank you so much, Denise. Roxanne Angley also totally keeps the podcast afloat. Roxanne, you're the best. Lee Matthews, Arjan Masudi, Karen Hagmans, Joanna Rarefeed, think that's your name, possibly. Ulrika Fredrickson, Westergren, huge contributor, always. Thank you so much. Amanda Workman, the wonderful Amanda Workman, also keeps me afloat. Thank you so much. Rachel Sparks, Jeanette Parisell, Marie Nona, and that's it. Yeah, that's it. Thank you guys so much for contributing. Um, it's very hard and expensive to run a podcast. Uh, I don't do a lot of merch or anything like that. So uh, I rely on your donations. Uh, and I'm very grateful and thankful for all of you. If you'd like to contribute, definitely could use it. Buymeacoffee.com slash Patrick Black. Thanks again so much to everyone.